For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A team of Turkish scientists analyzed three pieces of birch pitch that had been chewed by ancient humans in Scandinavia almost 10,000 years ago. Their findings, which they recently published in scientific reports, offer a fascinating window into the mouths of these ancient humans. Birch pitch is a sticky substance made by heating birch bark. It has been used by people for medicinal purposes for thousands of years and can be chewed like gum. As it turns out, it's also a great repository for ancient DNA. The team of researchers extracted DNA from these very old pieces of chewing gum and discovered, as you might expect, that Mesolithic humans could have used a dentist and a toothbrush. They analyzed the oral microbiome profile and pathogen burden of the birch pitch and found that it was similar to modern-day people who suffer from periodontitis. Periodontitis is a serious gum infection that damages the soft tissue around teeth. Without treatment, periodontitis can destroy the bone that supports your teeth and lead to tooth loss. The researchers believed ancient hunter-gatherers likely suffered from bad oral health, in part because they used their teeth for gripping, cutting, and tearing, and were exposed to a wide array of pathogens. The birch pitch also gave researchers a window into other things these ancient individuals had been doing with their mouths. They found DNA sequences of red fox, hazelnut, red deer, and apple, which were likely some of the things they'd been noshing on just before chewing on the pitch. I don't know how they make gum these days. Frankly, I don't want to know. But next time you stick a piece of trident or juicy fruit underneath your chair at a movie theater, ask yourself, what will this say about me in 10,000 years? If you're doing things right, your diet might not look too different from those Scandinavian hunter-gatherers. Hopefully without the gum disease, of course. This week, we've got legislation, federal and state, double buzz, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. 
and my week was nicely balanced by this strange temperature swing of going from negative 30 to 50 above and still climbing. Old musky Chet and I hit the ice, or for you real tough sons of guns, the hard water. It was a great morning, sun was shining, no wind and cold. We drug sleds for a couple of miles, drilling holes, looking and feeling for fish with our jigs and electronics. We eventually found some fish and got a hot bite going. Wound up with some nice-sized perch and one walleye worth keeping. Lots of catching up and, uh, you know, BSing. Plus a little exercise towing those sleds across the ice. I got to tell you one funny deal that happened, too. We parked next to this fellow who's getting ready. He had a couple of yellow labs running around the ice, and we're talking about ice fishing, of course. I was like, oh, that's a nice-looking dog, and I let Snort out. And he's like, oh, that's a nice-looking dog. You like bird hunt? And I said, yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is what we do for postseason depression. And I said, oh, yeah, the dog's like uh, running around out here on the ice. They seem to get a kick out of it. And he goes, oh, no, I wasn't talking about the dog. I was about talking about post-bird hunting depression for me. And uh, I know there's a lot of you out there that uh, feel the same way. Just hard to get real excited about much else. But we'll get there. We'll make it through. Anyway, after uh, trucking around the ice, headed out to mom's place because they had an unbelievable amount of geese out in the field, which never happens. It's a tiny place. It's a great place for like hunting traffic. Very rarely is it where the geese really want to be. But right now, it absolutely is. And these birds just migrated in. It's wild. You'd think these resident birds would have a lot more fat on them. These birds were very skinny and very eager to come into a very meager decoy spread. We left Bozeman super late, got out there late, got the decoys out after kicking geese out of the field. Only put out a dozen decoys on motion stakes. And uh, man, before I could even load the shotgun, there were geese in the kill zone and they just kept coming. I think I was fully set up by 9 a.m. and picking up the decoys by 9.30 a.m. It was a little too fast. The snort dog was on the edge of her seat as I picked up decoys, not fully understanding that all of her work was five retrieves. It was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Well, until next season, little girl. And in between those, I've been cleaning up the freezers, getting things organized in the meat department, you could say. If you're tuning into the old Cal Instagram account, you may have seen the end result of a Korean fried upland bird thigh recipe that I've been working on, which is like good for grouse species and pheasants. Drumsticks on a lot of birds are kind of tough to deal with because of the amount of tendons, specifically pheasants, but the thighs are absolutely fantastic, despite a lot of people throwing them away. So very simple, dry sherry or Chinese cooking wine, soy sauce, ginger, salt, pepper, brown sugar, garlic, let that sit overnight, then whisk together a 50-50 mix of flour and cornstarch with water and you're looking for the consistency of like runny eggs, not quite pancake batter, thoroughly coat everybody, deep fat fryer, I use beef tallow and let them drain on uh, old paper sacks is what I do, reduce, reuse kids. It takes about five minutes per batch. It's a killer recipe. You won't ever feel bad for throwing a bird thigh away because you'll covet them from here on out. Now, uh, word to the listener, we're heading back into the state legislative cycle. Oddly enough, this is where I get like more excited about the week in review because we got stuff that really, really matters on top of the entertaining things. We're going to cover as much of this as we can, but we are counting on you to write in and keep us informed on what's going on. You can type in ncsl.org to see what states are in session and when. 
That's the National Conference of State Legislatures. And if you hear about something that really grinds your gears, really ticks you off, what I'm going to say next just isn't going to help. Whatever it is, whatever that issue is, it was probably preventable. If we all get better at advocating consistently for the things we enjoy, public land, access to hunting and fishing, open spaces, habitat, and we are proactive about it, a lot of this stuff won't come up. So don't wait for things to go on the chopping block before you get involved. If you are just dipping your toe into this, join a local and national rod and gun club today. That's a great start. Then set a goal of testifying at your state legislature this year. It's not as scary as it sounds. You can even get up there and just say thank you, good work on something that's positive. In the world of hunting and fishing and outdoor rights, the sidelines are full. We need players on the field. Moving on to the legislative desk. A Kentucky state senator has introduced a bill that would legalize the killing of coopers and red-tailed hawks. More specifically, it would prohibit the Department of Fish and Wildlife from imposing or collecting fines or penalties from anyone who pursues or kills a hawk. Killing hawks would still be illegal under federal law, and violators face serious fines and even jail time. The senator's name is Gary Boswell, and you'd be forgiven for asking what he has against two of America's most common native birds of prey. Boswell explains in a Facebook post that three of his constituents have told him about having trouble with hawks killing their chickens and cats and preying on songbirds at their bird feeders. Boswell claims that there is an overpopulation of hawks, and he implies that they're contributing to declining turkey numbers. As evidence, he posted a video from his trail cam of hawks killing turkey poults. There's just one problem. As many of his commenters on the post pointed out, what Boswell calls hawks are actually European starlings. How that actually happened, I don't know. Anyone who's owned backyard chickens knows how frustrating it is to lose a hen, especially when they're finally up and running and producing. And it's certainly true that hawks prey on smaller birds, but covered chicken runs can solve the former problem, and taking down a bird feeder for a period of time can discourage hawks from whacking too many backyard Tweety birds. Hawk populations have increased substantially over the past 20 years or so. In a 2017 report, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology found that the presence of Cooper's hawks have increased fourfold at the feeders they monitor. But to say that there are too many hawks is a matter of opinion, and the solution should come from someone who knows the difference between hawks and starlings. Over in Wisconsin, where it's always a hot spot for outdoor legislation, and this year is no different, a group of Republican legislators have introduced a bill that would ban doe hunting in the northern third of the state. They say they've heard from hundreds of constituents complaining about this year's poor deer season, so they've introduced a bill that would prohibit the DNR from establishing a hunting season on antlerless deer in the northern forest zone. The bill would further prohibit the DNR from issuing more than two antlered tags per person in that zone. These restrictions would last four years, after which the DNR would assess the population of deer in the northern forest zone. It is true that the deer harvest this year was down in northern Wisconsin, Hunters killed 14.7 fewer bucks in the zone during November's nine-day gun season compared to the five-year average, according to the DNR. The doe harvest in the zone was also down 27.2% from the five-year average. However, the cause of that decline is hotly debated. Biologists with the DNR blame last year's harsh winter. On the other hand, many hunters say that wolves are driving the decline. 
If winter is the true culprit, major changes to the hunting regulations likely aren't necessary. But if wolves are to blame, you can see why some lawmakers and residents would like to see more drastic action. To help settle this debate, I reached out to longtime outdoor writer and Wisconsin resident Pat Durkin. Pat explained that deer numbers have been down across the entire Northwoods, including northwestern Ontario and the northern counties of Michigan's Lower Peninsula, since a, quote, nutbuster winter in 2013. But wolves were in Ontario prior to that winter when deer herds were at their peak and there are no wolves in Michigan's Lower Peninsula. If wolves were the primary driver of declining deer numbers, you'd expect those numbers to be strong in Michigan and poor in Ontario. In reality, the populations track with bad winters far more closely than with wolves. Pat says, quote, My prediction would be that if they get this bill passed, everyone will still be complaining of too few Northwoods deer in January 2028. Wolves certainly impact deer populations, but a long-term view of the problem indicates that it would be better to address habitat degradation and leave harvest quotas to biologists and hunter advisory groups. This bill has not yet been assigned a number as of this recording, but any concerned hunters should get in touch with their Wisconsin state representatives. Staying in Wisconsin, anglers are fighting to keep sturgeon spearing legal in the Lake Winnebago system. Thanks to listener Ryan Ebert and a bunch of you other folks who wrote in to talk about this one. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is set to decide whether to list Lake Sturgeon under the Endangered Species Act. After receiving a petition to list sturgeon from the Center of Biological Diversity, the agency decided to conduct a status review of the species. They're set to release their decision in June of this year, and if they decide that sturgeon are endangered or threatened, it could ban sturgeon fishing in all 50 states. Most states don't have enough of a population to warrant a season, but Wisconsin is different. Sturgeon are heavily managed in Wisconsin, and those efforts have grown the population in the Lake Winnebago system to an estimated 40,000 fish. There is a spearing season every year, and 13,000 licenses are sold. Based on this excellent track record of state management, a bipartisan group of Wisconsin's congregational delegation is asking the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to consider an exemption of the Wisconsin population. They say banning the spearing season is unnecessary and would eliminate a unique and cherished annual tradition. And they've introduced a bill called Spear Act to preemptively exempt Wisconsin fish from listing. The Fish and Wildlife Service is set to release their findings on June 30th, 2024. Even if you don't live in Wisconsin, you should submit a comment when the findings are released. Wisconsin anglers and wildlife managers have done excellent work for the species, and they should be allowed to reap the rewards. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. 
Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal. Cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks or you open your medical emergency kit you match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away these medical emergency kits not a first aid kit all right it comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues so on hand strong antibiotics for infections of all types plus a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when no waiting to see the doctor no waiting at the pharmacy it's all in there every home should have at least one medical emergency kit order yours online in minutes your kit will be rushed to your door get 15 percent off at twc.health slash meat eater but you got to use the promo code meat eater that's promo code meat eater okay at twc.health slash meat eater for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground but i use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. The Washington State Legislature is considering a bill that could enshrine the right to hunt and fish in the state constitution. SJR 8208 would place the amendment on the ballot at the next general election. It would declare that, quote, all the people of this state shall have an inalienable right to forage, hunt, fish, trap, and harvest wildlife and fish, subject only to reasonable regulation as prescribed by the Washington State Legislature and Executive Branch. The bill is aimed at curbing the State Wildlife Commission's recent encroachments on hunting and fishing. If the bill passes, Washington residents would still have to approve the amendment. Thanks to listener Paul Craven for sending us this story. The Indiana State Legislature is considering a bill that would establish a bobcat hunting and trapping season in the state. The DNR tried to institute a season back in 2018, but abandoned the effort after receiving strong opposition. A similar bill also failed to earn enough support back in 2019. Now, five years later, legislators from the southern part of the state are once again trying to make it happen. Senate Bill 241 requires the director of the Department of Natural Resources to adopt rules for a bobcat hunting season. The DNR can determine harvest quotas and means of take, but it must establish a season no later than July 1, 2025. 
It is unclear whether the bobcat population is robust enough to sustain a hunting or trapping season. Even though the DNR tried to create a season in 2018, they told local media the next year that they did not, quote, have the scientific data to support a sustainable bobcat season. Of course, there's a difference between not having data and having data to the contrary. The agency might not have a solid population estimate, but that doesn't mean the population can't sustain a hunt. Bobcats are elusive, and their exact numbers can be difficult to estimate, but it's clear that their numbers have risen since they were listed as endangered in the state in 2005. This bill, SB241, passed the Senate Natural Resources Committee on a 7-to-1 vote and is headed for the Senate floor. Thanks to Colin Flora for sending that one in. We're going to end this uh, legislative desk with a whole lot of updates coming at you real fast. Get used to this. Bills are being proposed in Washington State and New Mexico that would impose additional taxes on firearms and ammunition. In New Mexico, Senate Bill 90 would impose an 11% excise tax on all firearms, firearm parts, ammunition, and suppressors. In Washington State, House Bill 2238 would impose an 11% quote, privilege tax on consumers for all ammunition sales. In New Hampshire, HB 1148 would amend the qualifications for potential members of the Fish and Game Commission to make it easier to install anti-hunting commissioners. In North Carolina, the Wildlife Commission is floating a proposal to move the opening day of gun deer season from the Monday before Thanksgiving to the Saturday after Thanksgiving in 17 counties. Finally, the Bureau of Land Management wants to significantly reduce recreational shooting within Arizona's Sonoran Desert National Monument. The agency has announced a proposed amendment to the monument's resource management plan that would allow target shooting on 5,300 acres of the monument and ban it from the remaining acreage. That would cut the acreage that currently gives Phoenix area gun owners a free place to shoot by about 430,000 acres. A public comment period is currently open at federalregister.gov. Remember, write in ASKCAL at themeateater.com. Let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Moving on to the crime desk. Two New York men have been hit with fines and misdemeanors after they got caught poaching trophy class bucks from city parks. But that's not the best part of the story. The best part is just how these yahoos found the deer they ended up hunting. According to the New York Department of Environmental Conservation, one of the men, a guy named Jason Zorda, posed as a female wildlife photographer on Facebook. He would contact other local wildlife photographers when he saw a photo of a big buck and get the details of where that photo was taken. Then, he and his partner, Kevin Butler, would get to work. They each had backpacks that held compact bows, and they would hide arrows inside trekking poles. That way, anyone they had happened upon in these urban and suburban areas would assume they were just hikers. They finally got caught when a resident of an apartment complex in the town of Tonawanda saw one of them kill a deer and called the police. They fled before law enforcement arrived, but like any good modern-day hunters, Zorda and Butler had installed trail cams. Police found the men using those trail cam photos, and a search warrant eventually uncovered the entire scheme, and it does appear to be a larger scheme. The New York DEC mentions other poachers who also used Facebook to locate target bucks, and it sounds like we'll be hearing about more suspects and charges coming down the pike. For now, Zorda and Butler will be enjoying a five-year suspension on their hunting licenses and a $1,075 fine. I want to say something here, that there is a lot of good hunting skills in this modern era of e-scouting that these two crooks employed, okay? I will tell you that there is good hunting information 
all over the non-hunting parts of the internet. What you have to do is apply that non-hunting hunting information in legal areas to hunt. Obviously, you jackwads. Five hunting dogs were shot and killed in two separate incidents in Virginia last month as conflicts between hunters and landowners come to a head. One King and Queen County landowner is facing multiple felony charges for shooting, killing, and burying three hunting dogs. Two dead hunting dogs were found on the property of the aptly named Eric Ripper, and an additional dog was found several days later. He faces three felony counts of cruelty to animals and two misdemeanors of removing electronic collars from a dog. In the other incident, a landowner shot three dogs and killed two of them. The person has not been identified or charged, but he claims he did it because the dogs were attacking his animals. But the dog's owners say that's impossible. They told local media that the GPS callers proved the dogs weren't anywhere near the landowner's chickens, and one of them says he heard 15 or 16 shots as the dogs approached the property. The landowner buried the two dogs he killed, removed their collars, and threw the collars in a burn barrel, which is exactly the kind of thing an innocent person uh, would obviously not be doing. Hopefully, game wardens get to the bottom of this and justice is served. The dog who survived the shooting didn't sustain any broken bones and is recovering at home. Moving on to the bug desk. Get ready, Illinois. Two broods of cicadas are set to hatch this spring for the first time in 221 years, and they're headed for the land of Lincoln. Broods 13 and 19 are both scheduled to emerge this year. Brood 19, which pops up every 13 years, covers southern Illinois and Missouri and stretches down through Arkansas and across many southern and southeastern states. Brood 13 emerges every 17 years and is isolated to northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and eastern Iowa. You'll notice that the only state where these broods overlap is Illinois. Northern Illinois will see brood 13 emerge around late May or early June, and brood 19 could appear as early as April. The large red-eyed flying insects will cause a ruckus for a few months as they reproduce and then start dying off as the summer comes to an end. Cicadas are fascinating insects. Their complete life cycle takes over a decade, most of which is spent as nymphs under the ground. There are annual cicadas that emerge every year, but periodical cicadas are more famous. These cicadas incorporate a variety of subspecies, but they are often categorized by brood. Broods are distinguished based on the schedule when they emerge from the ground. There are 12 broods that emerge every 17 years and 3 broods that emerge every 13 years. Broods are loosely regional, but the same brood can emerge in different parts of the country. Broods can also be what are called straggling. This happens when a brood comes out a year early or a year late. Scientists don't know exactly why this happens, but it's probably just to mess with entomologists, which is the word we use for scientists who study insects. The usual explanation for how cicadas keep track of time relates to what they eat. Cicada nymphs feed on tree sap underground, which changes composition as trees grow and shed their leaves. Scientists believe cicadas have internal molecular clocks that keep track of each year based on changes in tree sap and tell the bugs when to climb up out of the ground. According to one theory, climate shocks such as extreme freezes or droughts might throw off this clock, which is how a straggling brood would emerge. Lastly, to answer the question I know everyone is asking, yes, you can eat cicadas. The Cleveland Clinic advises young children, pregnant women, people with shellfish allergies, and people at risk for gout to avoid the flying snacks, but cicadas are safe for anyone else to eat as long as you don't collect them from areas where the ground has seen heavy chemical treatment. The insects have a nutty flavor and shrimp-like quality and I'd recommend sautéing or frying. I also want to hear from the anglers out there. What the heck happens during heavy cicada years for you folks that are trying to make a living out there guiding folks on uh, the big water? 
uh, write and let me know. Last but not least, the mailbag. Listener Nate Mason wrote in because he wanted to give a shout out to his local wildlife manager. These are the folks who do the hard on-the-ground work that often goes unnoticed, and I appreciated Nate's desire to acknowledge that service. Nate says, quote, I know malfeasance usually graces your inbox, but just wanted to give a shout-out to a pair of local do-gooders. I'm part of the Fairfax County Deer Management Program, in which transient city slickers like myself get a chance to hunt, fill freezers, assist in management goals, and feed the homeless, all within 10 miles of Washington, D.C., All this is due to the hard work of Dr. Catherine Edwards and her law enforcement counterparts as they regulate the season, run interference with disgruntled neighbors, and generally facilitate the program. She's a champ. She sounds like a champ. Thanks to Dr. Edwards for her work managing wildlife around the nation's capital, and thanks to Nate, who serves as an infantry officer for the U.S. Army. That's all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for writing in. Remember, get a hold of me. A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at meateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.